Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. The Volume. Just a reminder, you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is a new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at John Middlecoff to get notified when I go live. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast. What's happening, people? Here's what we're going to do today. Mailbag only, mailbag heavy, and the mailbag is very easy to get in. You just go to my direct messages on my Instagram, at John Middlecoff. You fire in those DMs, get your question answered here on the show. That is the plan. So I had a podcast yesterday, talked about Saquon, talked about Dalvin. We'll have a mailbag heavy podcast right now. And then we will have the big U.S. Open preview getting ready for golf. I don't know, the third major. I, I think this year it's going to be the my favorite major, L.A. Country Club. It's going to be awesome. We will talk gambling. We will talk storylines. We'll talk it all tomorrow. So a couple football podcasts, golf podcasts, and then I, I think we will have a football podcast probably at the end of the week, I'm pretty sure. But today's a mailbag-only podcast. Anything else? Oh, yeah, we, we have a special going on right now. If you go to the volume.com, the merch store, you buy a Golo Polo, you get half off a trucker hat. Golo trucker hat. So if you go to the volume.com, search the merch, we have a deal going on right now. Get a polo, get half off a hat. Just use the promo code OPEN23. As in the U.S. Open, just OPEN23. And uh, that'll work for you. So... You want some Golo merch? I got an Adidas collared shirt sitting right here. I have my Golo hat on my head. So uh, fire in to the volume.com merch store. Appreciate everyone that already has. And uh, we're, we're working on merch and we're figuring it out as we go. The hats look good. Polo looks good too. Adidas. So get on that and we will have a, a bunch of golf bets coming up on the Golo podcast here in a day. But let's rock and roll right now. Also, I need you to go to your smartphone and download the GameTime app. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in America. Also happens to be the official ticketing app of this podcast. You want to go to a baseball game this summer. You want to go to a football game this fall. You want to go to a concert. You want to go to a comedy show. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to type in the promo code J-O-H-N. It's my name, John. And you'll get $20 off any pair of tickets. Very easy to do. Promo code John. Download the GameTime app. First time users get $20 off. Anything you want. Concerts, comedy shows, games. Get on it and do it fast. This is going to be a mailbag heavy podcast. This is the time of year where I just saw Doug Peterson. He told all of his uh, veteran players, no mandatory minicamp. You guys go home. I saw on Instagram, Debo Samuel gave some peace signs. See you guys at training camp. This is most teams now and most veteran players are off and running, having a good time. Now, I also think one theory I have, I've been going to these mini camps and off-season activities for over a decade. 
they have got less and less strenuous and intense. Uh, I, I don't think they've ever been probably less physically taxing than they are in 2023, and that will continue. I also think because of the money on the line and a lot of these players, I mean, such a large percentage of players come from obviously not just Division One programs, Power 5 level programs. These guys are used to being pretty locked and loaded, 365, training on their own, staying in shape. Because for a long period of time uh, in pro sports, right in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, probably even the 90s, you would just show up. That's when you would get in shape at training camp. And I think that is just dramatically different. Now, it probably has its positives and negatives, right? Uh, used to, you, you would stay in physical shape in terms of playing football in the offseason. Maybe you were less inclined to get injured. I can't prove that, but I, I do think there is some merit to that, especially in training camp when you're not really tackling. But I think from a standpoint of a lot of teams not worrying about guys working too hard in terms of on the practice field, because these guys are in pretty good shape now. And these guys pay so much money because their bodies yield them so much for contracts, right? And getting a second contract in the NFL now is so lucrative. Uh, I, I do wonder if guys are just much more disciplined now. Even if you're not the most disciplined human, it's worth it for you to pay your trainers you know, throughout the offseason, during, during OTAs. And I, I just wonder if if coaches clearly by their actions sending guys homes aren't as worried about like keeping them in shape right up until the last day that I can see them for their 30 days off. Do they feel pretty confident the guys will, you know, continue to work out, stay in tip top shape and be ready to roll when uh, when it's time? Let's dive into the mailbag. Start with Ramel. Mailbag is just my name at John Middlecoff. Instagram DMs wide open. Recently discovered your podcast. Love your work. Like this guy already. My question is, as someone who is somewhere between a hardcore and casual of the NFL, I've never quite understood exactly what a head coach's responsibility when they have both an offensive and defensive coordinator and a special teams coach on the team. Can you break that down? I think it's a pretty good question. Uh, in my time in the NFL, Andy Reid Actually, I guess when I was with him with the Eagles, Marty Morningwig called plays, though he was pretty involved. When I was at Fresno State with Pat Hill, he didn't do anything. He didn't call the plays on offense, and he was an offensive guy, so he had nothing to do with the defense. I think a huge role when you are a John Harbaugh, a Mike Tomlin, uh, I think Pete Carroll plays this, though. I think he's pretty heavily involved with the defense. I think Jim Harbaugh played this role when he was with the NFL, in the NFL, and now even at Michigan is motivation and writing your coaches to give them organizational, you know, philosophical beliefs on a weekly basis. I think Bill Belichick clearly does this too. To have ideas, you know, of what we want to do to attack certain teams depending on the week. I think team meetings and the direction of your team, the motivation of individuals, you know, a huge thing Bill Walsh always did. Now, Bill Walsh was the play caller was ride his assistant coaches really hard uh, because if you rode the position coaches hard, especially in front of the players, that would incentivize them to try to do better because they didn't want to let down that guy. Uh, there is a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to say busy work, but just in terms of working hand-in-hand -hand with your GM, I mean, you're dealing with things from 
what time your plane should leave, what your meals are, a, a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to say micromanaging, but you're doing a lot of things at the top of the food chain that coordinators just don't have to worry about. Depending on your team, when guys get in trouble, when guys get injured, dealing with your GM of, you know, who we're going to bring up, who we're going to put down on a weekly basis. Most coordinators just deal with like, who do I have to deal with this week in terms of who am I going to get up or down on game day, who is healthy, and who are we playing, and just devise a game plan. Where I think head coaches are much more worried about the message to the team that, that aren't calling plays on a given week. If you've played poorly or played well the previous week, how to motivate or how to maintain that level of play. A practice schedule, given on who you're going to play, what your travel schedule is the following week. A lot of schedule making when you're the head coach. Uh, And then you have to, if you're not calling the plays, you have to find time, you know, a good one, to watch a lot of film on your opponent, to know what you're talking about with your players and definitely your position coaches and your coordinators. So I, I think it probably depends on the team. And I do ultimately think even if you are quote unquote, you know, Mike Tomlin's a good example. I bet he spends a lot of time with his defensive coordinators and just the the defensive side of the ball. That's kind of who he is at his core, right? Now, I also would imagine he spends time with people on his offense that just either needs positive reinforcement, that needs to be ridden a little harder. I mean, a huge part of football, like probably a lot of professions, motivation, motivating your guys, staying on your guys, riding your guys, getting the most out of them, pushing them to places that they don't even see possible. Uh, But every single coach in the NFL that's a head coach that's not a play caller does have a side of the ball that's an expertise, right? So you're just going to lean that side because that's what you know best, right? If you're the CEO, but you came up as the sales guy or the marketing guy or whatever guy, you're going to lean kind of with that side of the business because that's what you're most comfortable with. So, I mean, there are probably a lot of things that I've never been an NFL head coach or a college head coach that doesn't call plays. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you, I've had some coaches tell me, I remember I had a coordinator tell me that his coach, this is this guy was not a good head coach. Well, actually, he had some moments. People on the staff question what he did all day like they they had no clue honestly they joked that he was like playing solitaire or playing you know games on his computer i guess he had been caught one time doing that so that was kind of an inside joke if you're at the office 18 hours a day and you're in the office a lot by yourself not dealing with the players or not dealing with your coaches I, i i do think it's fair to question like what are you actually doing it would be pretty easy to get lazy in that spot. It would. Right? Especially if you were having some success. Like your team was good. What are you actually doing? For the mailbag. Love your insight of the game and your business advice. After hearing you talk about the stock market, what's some advice you have for getting started in investing? One thing I heard a long time ago. I don't know if it was a podcast or it was a book I was reading is Tony Robbins had given this advice about investing in the stock market. Invest in things you use. So let's just think about this logically. Of I'm looking at an iPad, talking into a Mac computer with an iPhone and two pair of AirPods because I put one through the uh, washer and dryer and it ruined it, so I had to order a second pair. 
I don't own Apple. But people would look at you like, how long have you had an iPhone? <clears throat> how long have you had a Mac computer? Wait, you're in the podcast business and you talk like everything you do is through that Mac computer? It would probably make logical sense and it definitely would have made financial sense if five, eight, ten years ago I would have invested into Apple. Think about it. Do you watch a lot of Netflix? I bet a lot of people do listening to this. Well, if you've looked at Netflix stock over the last year, has absolutely ripped. Just think about it like this. If you're someone and you spend an hour a day watching Netflix, you literally use the product every single day. You, most people you know, you go, God, do you have Netflix? Do you have Netflix? Every single person I know has Netflix, right? Or Amazon could fit this. So if you think about some of the main prod- products or companies that we all use, you know, it's probably going to work out. And if you look at a lot of the ones that are really successful, Amazon, Apple, Netflix is having a ton of success. It works. Now, it doesn't always mean just because a lot of people bank with Wells Fargo that Wells Fargo is going to rip. But I do think, and listen, financial advisors may push back at this. If you invest like that, now companies, if you don't know the inner workings of a company, there could always be like a accounting scandal that could go the wrong way. But I do think if you took that tactic just pretty consistently, you'd, you'd have some success, right? A lot of people are on Twitter. Twitter stock never budged. A lot of people are on Facebook, and over the years, that thing ripped. So I, I that's kind of the philosophy I take. Uh, or businesses that I, I try to see in the future, right? That's why a lot of people bet on Bitcoin, right? I'm having a lot of success with SoFi, an internet bank, right? When you think a lot of things that are going to shift, the internet feels much older than it actually is. It's only 20 years old, right? Oh, really, if you think about it over the last, like, decade, but probably even less than that, how many people are very, very comfortable shopping on the internet? I'm 38 years old. Most people, I would say 45, 50-ish and under have zero hesitation shopping on the internet. So when you think of the way a lot of things are going to go, are we eventually going to buy all of our cars on the internet? Are we eventually going to buy our homes on the internet? So when you see things like, and I'm not saying to buy these stocks, and some of them are going different ways, but Zillow, Carvana, you know, you just can kind of like see where the world's going. That, that's a little bit of a projection and taking like big swings for a draft prospect. But I don't think it's crazy to look at it like that. I try to. Do you know that Angie's list is now Angie? You're home for everything home. Listen, as someone who's been looking to buy a place and wants to do big projects, once I do close on a house, I don't know where to start. Who am I going to contact? Angie can help you get the best price for your product. They have access to hundreds of thousands of pros, and they make it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure the job is done well. And here's the other thing. The pros in their network are locally based. They have been rated and reviewed by others in your area who have actually used their service. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the website, You could have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. How awesome does that sound? Here's the thing. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about an American-made success story in Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches are not owned by Big Tobacco. They're an independent company proudly built right here in the USA for 21 and over adult consumers. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. They believed the market wanted tobacco alternative nicotine products that offered the best of both worlds. Bold flavor, full pouches. What are they made of? It's pretty simple. Cured edible green leaves, food grade ingredients, and pharmaceutical grade nicotine. Most importantly, there's no tobacco leaf or stem. All proudly made right here in the USA. So if you're 21 and older, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo Herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online, and they ship directly to most states. Or check out the store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Hey, John, you keep saying you have interviews coming up for football's offseason. You should try to get Mike Tomlin. Coward keeps saying he would love to get him on his show. You should beat him to it. Well, one thing I know, when these guys go on vacation... Tomlin, you name it, any football coach or football GM, they ain't doing podcasts, especially with someone like me. So Mike Tomlin, who I do not know, never met the guy, I would love to have him on. Cam Hayward, who came on last year, who I plan hopefully have again on over the next month of the offseason. But I also understand it's like his offseason too. You know, if I'm one of those guys, I remember the one time I've heard Tomlin, or I've heard him on a couple podcasts. He went on Ryan Clark's, Ryan Clark played for him, and Sean McVay's. So it's like, I, I understand a guy like that, you know, I'm, I'm less likely to get him. And I also often say about this, like my show specifically, is one thing I've really tried to do, and listen, is it to my benefit? Should I go after some big guests? Yeah, I probably should. But a lot, every podcast basically has a guest on. One thing I like to do, and whether this is the right business move or not, uh, you could probably pick holes in it. I've just not really had guests try to give my opinions for an hour, hour and a half, 45 minutes, whatever. Every single podcast I listen to, oh, guests coming up, guests coming up, which is fun. I like listening to some of those and I need to have some of them on because not much is going to go on over the next month. Hence why I'm doing a mailbag right now. But like one thing I've really tried to do for my show from basically the start of football season up until the draft is like, I can handle it myself. And like you come to hear me. Now, if you know, I get a guest that's worth having on or someone that I really want to talk to, I I think it makes a lot of sense. And I got some guys that I'm kind of interested in talking to. Mike Tomlin would definitely be one. Um, If you know Mike, tell him we'd love to have him on. Levi, am I the only one who doesn't think McAfee to ESPN will change his show at all? He seems like the typical former player who always takes the player side and is against the league and the owners. Seems like the only reason people think he's unfiltered and raw is because he cusses. If you take that away, his takes seem to line up perfectly with that of ESPN guys are always saying, am I crazy? I like Pat. Uh, I think a huge, when you watch his show, it's just, 
when I think raw, I'm with you on the swearing, but I also think he can just kind of do whatever he wants. And part of it is a lot of his guests, you know, I mean, he has really good rapport with Sham Sharania and Ian Rappaport, right? Let's just use those two guys as examples. Well, think of ESPN's two, two of their biggest employees, Woj and Schefter. Like, he's going to keep having Shams on against Woj when they're when ESPN's paying him $10 million? Or he's going to have Rapsheet on when Schefter, I mean, is arguably the greatest newsbreaker in the history of the league? I love Adam. I like Ian, too, but that's just part of the deal. That's where I think you start getting into some issues. One thing on the cussing, uh, and, and I've tried to be cognizant of that, you know, moving forward, because I know some of you guys have little kids, you listen to me, but I talk like I talk, you know? And I, I, I try to be careful about that because I don't need to say an F word every other sentence, but it comes out sometimes it comes out. And that is 100%. If, if he's on ESPN2 or ESPN or whatever, it is not going to be allowed. It's, it's legally just not allowed. You're not allowed to swear on ESPN. So I hear you. That's a huge difference. I saw someone comment on you know, sometimes when the volume, they cut up what I say, right, and put it out as social clips. And one of the social clip that came out on Monday was my take on Saquon Barkley, how the Giants, you know, have been really good business partners. They've paid him $38 million. And if he signs his franchise tag, he'll have made $8 million over six years, which is pretty damn good, given what he's brought to the table, been injured a lot. Uh, had some awesome moments, very talented player. I, I guess ultimately my take is it's been a win-win. And someone's like, Middlecoff always takes the side of the teams. No, I just, I look at things very objectively. And I, I do think a lot of former players do have a hard time just going, that's a terrible contract. Or that's stupid to not release this player. Or you need to sign this guy because he's some former big name. And I clearly don't do that because I look and I was trained from a front office point of view. Plus, I just think about things logically. If sake, like I, I wouldn't advocate... Over the last couple of years, you know what? Derrick Henry, not worth it to the Titans. Of course he is. But I do think you could make an argument. Would the Giants be that much different if you just put a solid running back on their team or multiple running backs that made a combined $3 million instead of paying Saquon 10? I'm not pro or anti any of these guys. I just look at every situation individually, independently, and make a decision. Where most former players which I understand that they always looked at things through the lens of being in the locker room going, we're getting screwed. And sometimes you're just not getting screwed. It's why I appreciate guys, whether you guys that make a lot of money that are just easy to deal with. Jalen hurts, Patrick Mahomes just feels like pretty seamless. Now you could argue, of course it was, they were offered enormous amounts of money, but it was just, that's just a high level business partnership on both sides. I have a hard time thinking players that were drafted super high that have made a lot of money are just getting completely railroaded. They may be quote-unquote underpaid, right? But even Nick Bosa, you know, he's made $40 million the last four years or whatever. Or I guess he will after the end of his fifth-year option. But he's going to get extended. But he's been paid a lot of money. Now, relative to top defensive ends, yeah, of course not. You know, he's at his position, he's a $25 million player. But there have been guys that are mid-round picks that start playing at a Pro Bowl level, like Max Crosby. Think about it. It's one thing to get screwed making $8, $9, 10000000 million. Another thing to get be like, God, 
I'm a pro bowler and I'm making $780,000. So I, I just try to put things in perspective where I think other former players have a hard time doing that. And I, I think Pat, I've seen him enough be able to take both sides, but yes, yeah, think who's on a show, AJ, Pat, and Pac-Man Jones. What do you think their perspective is going to be? The third quarterback rule had me thinking. Can you explain more about how in a season's NFL roster works? There's 53-man roster, but also practice squad, but not all 53 dress on game day. Thanks. So on game day, well, during the season, right? When September, the date changes. It could be September 1st. September 2nd, whatever the day is, you have to cut down your roster. It used to be from like 90 to 80 to 75 to 53. I think now it goes like 90 to 80 and then 80 to 53. I'm pretty sure I might have that. Maybe it goes 90 to 75. You have some different cut down dates. There there are specific dates, how many people you can have on your roster. And when the season starts, you officially have to get down to 53 men on your roster. If you're one of those 53 guys, you are on the team and paid your salary as an NFL player. So if you're the seventh round pick, you're probably making league minimum, which if you're a rookie, it's like $750,000, $800,000, whatever. If I make the team as a veteran and I don't have any, you know, quote unquote guaranteed money, but my regular salary is $5 million and I make that 53-man roster, if I'm on the roster week one and I play in that game or I don't play in the game, but I'm just on the roster... I'm getting that $5 million no matter what, and it's guaranteed. And then, obviously, the good players are making the team. So you have 53 men. But just because you make the team, right, if you don't have any guaranteed money or you get injured, I can always remove you from the roster, right? We have the ability to put you on injured reserve. Those rules have been pretty fluid over the last couple of years, right? It used to be you went on injured reserve, you never came back. Then they changed the rule to, like, one guy can come back. Then they change the rule. Three guys can come back. I, I'd have to Google what exactly the rule is now. I think it even changed from last year. Remember, they had some like maybe three guys you can put on and bring back over the course of the season. I never quite understood this, but it surely has to do with money. On game day, on game day, you can only have 45 players, right? So even though you're on the roster, there's a decent chance, and you see it, anybody that follows their team, on game day when the inactives come out, and eight guys are on the inactive list, <clears throat> you get a bunch of guys that are just there on sweats. It's the difference in college and the pro. When you look at a college sideline, right, like when Michigan or Alabama, whoever, plays at home week one, there are people everywhere because you got 100-plus guys on the team. In the NFL, you only actually have 53 guys on the team, so when you have eight guys in sweats and your practice squad guys, who I guess at home are usually on the field too, They've expanded that. It used to be like six guys, then it went to eight. I'm pretty sure it's 10. But as a practice squad guy, I don't make as much money. So as a practice squad guy, I think, again, this number's changed too. I'd have to look it up. Maybe it's 120 grand. Nothing's guaranteed. So I can cut you at any moment. Now, week to week, you make whatever, 10 grand or 12 grand. I guess maybe it's a little less than that. Eight, eight point eight. 8,500. I don't know the exact breakdown. I have to look it up. But you are zero money's guaranteed, right? I can, you know, if I want to cut down at the end of training camp, the 53 guys, but there are a couple guys that I want to put on my practice squad. And once you go through the practice squad, you have to clear waivers, meaning any team in the league can claim you. 
Well, a lot of teams, once you clear waivers to make sure that you stay with them, basically pay you like you're on the 53-man roster, but you're on the practice squad. So some guys throughout the league on a practice squad may make 500 grand. Hell, may make a full rookie minimum salary, right? No different than like the fifth rounder that made the team. But the third quarterback rule is basically saying that instead of eight guys inactive, you get seven guys inactive, and the one guy, a 46 guy on game day, can be the quarterback. So uh, the overwhelming majority of teams, when you're building that 53-man roster, keep two quarterbacks, which you could argue is crazy, is ballsy, whatever. And usually the third quarterback is on the practice squad. Now, I think teams are going to be more inclined to keep three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. And sometimes, you need you need three guys that are worthy of it. Like last year, the 49ers. When they re-signed Jimmy Garoppolo, they kept Brock Purdy on the active roster. But So week one, for example, before Trey Lance got hurt. When they flew to Chicago, Trey Lance was a starter. Jimmy Garoppolo was the backup. And Brock Purdy was just standing there in sweats. But he was not, he made the team. He just, if Trey Lance had gotten injured and, and Jimmy had gotten in, they don't have another quarterback. Now, every team in the NFL will go into a game with a third guy, right? And they'll usually put that guy, it's why I think the, most teams are going to keep three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. That's a, I, I know I talked a lot there, so it's pretty confusing because it doesn't make that much sense. Why can't the NFL... I don't know the answer to this. Just have all 53 guys on your roster all dressed up on game day. It's usually an extra D lineman, an extra offensive lineman, an extra running back, an extra DB. It's usually a quarterback. Right? Why, why can't all those guys be dressed on game day? I'm sure it has to do with some money issues with the owners, but I've always thought that was really, really stupid. Why is there so much love for Sean Payton? and the disrespect from Mike McCarthy. Their win, loss, and playoff records are identical. The McCarthy only won one Super Bowl with the Hall of Fame quarterback in Rodgers can also be said about Peyton with Drew Brees. Granted, Rodgers was a better quarterback, but harder to coach in my opinion. I would agree to that. He was a lot better. <laughs> you know, that's, There was a big gap, right? I mean, there's, there's a wide, wide gap. Steph Curry's a Hall of Famer. John Stockton's a Hall of Famer. You know, there's there's a wide gap in the two. Like Drew Brees, respect Drew Brees. Aaron Rodgers is in a different universe than Drew Brees. McCarthy took all the heat when the Packers moved off Favre and didn't have an NFL-mandated one-year suspension. What am I missing? A lot has to do with PR campaign. Uh, definitely has a lot has to do with the PR campaign. Sean Payton's always been very, very good with the media. He's very good. Good friends with a lot of people in the media. He went to work in the media and seamlessly transitioned pretty easily. I, I think that plays a pretty big role. Uh, Sean Payton has consistently called plays. feels like most of his career. I could be wrong. Saints fans, that maybe there were some years when did he give that up to any of those guys over the years. I feel like he called them the whole time. Remember, Mike McCarthy went through some stretches in Green Bay where he gave it up, took it back. You know... Is there something to McCarthy's look? I I don't know. I mean, Andy's big and people like him. Maybe he's just 
he, he's not as tactful the way he deals with the media. I, I wonder if it's simply like a huge reason is the way that he deals with the press and deals in the press conferences, not as smooth. I, I find him pretty enjoyable. I, I got no issues with McCarthy. One thing that can't be argued, a lot of bad playoff losses. A lot of bad playoff losses. In Green Bay, some terrible playoff losses. I mean, ter- gut-wrenchers with Rodgers. Sean Payton's had him too. It was like, you know, Drew Brees can't even throw deep. <laughs> right? McCarthy, think about his... Two years ago in Dallas, home game against the 49ers. Kind of got worked. Home game against the Niners. Got worked. I know the game ended up being close. It wasn't that close. That, that was a pretty bad loss. But I hear you. You know, if you, numbers speak for themselves. I think if you polled every GM in the NFL and you said, would you rather have Mike McCarthy or Sean Payton? And you get to, you know, run the draft and you you get to keep your power. So it's not, it doesn't infringe on your control. I feel like Sean Payton would probably be like 85, 90. I remember I had a buddy that offensive coach in the league who never worked with Sean Payton, loved him. Just thought he was a genius. His concepts, how good he was at designing offenses. I don't know if people talk about McCarthy like that. Fair or not, I, I don't know. Two years ago in the in the NFL, I think the Cowboys were the number one offense when the year they lost in the 49ers. He wasn't the offensive coordinator. Curious if you golfed Arizona Grand today, Monday the 12th. I thought I recognized you guys. You may have been behind us. Ha, huh, just saying what's up, bro. Hope you had a good day. Meant to say what's up, but didn't. Nope, been working. I, I played golf one time in the last three weeks, so it wasn't me. Must have been a good-looking dude, though. Can you explain how you go about getting the seller to buy down the interest rate? Well, it's pretty easy. You know, you got to get them to agree. Let's just pick an even number. Let's say you have a million-dollar house. You offer nine forty. The seller, you know, counters with one hundred five, right? So you know you're a hundred thousand dollars apart, and you know that you think you can get him to bite on the million dollar price point. A lot of times, in my experience and watching my girlfriend deal with this, people that are selling a home, like I sold a condo, like I wasn't dead set on a price. I had a price. Then I was like, you know what? I'll take this, get out on it. Some people are very fluid with it. A lot of people listening have probably sold property or been a part of it where you're just, you're dead set on a number because you need a certain amount to buy a future place or you need a certain amount for whatever. Sometimes you don't really care. You're just trying to unload the property. In my experience, a lot of people in their mind are kind of dead set on a number. So once you kind of get an idea and if you're prepared to pay for that number, you go, listen, I'm, we're not on the same page here. I'm 950, you're $50,000 over a million. How about this? I'll pay a million dollars. So once the house sells on Zillow and everyone can say that he got a million dollars for it, but you give me $20,000 in concessions and those concessions go toward buying down the interest rate. So before you even make a payment, if he accepts, they have put $20,000 toward the interest rate. And let's just pick a number. That interest rate is seven point, you know, seven percent. Maybe that buys it down to six and a half, or at six and a half buys it down to, you know, six flat, or six point two five gets it to five point seven five. 
And concessions is something that for a long period of time in the housing market, especially in the big cities or the places that are blowing up, there were no concessions given. You got bent over as the buyer. Those days are over. You have a lot of juice. So a lot of times, like you go to a house and the AC needs to be replaced or the roof has some issues. Before you just take it as is, you get screwed and you overpay for it. In the middle of you know June 2023, you get a little something back. So you go, listen, you can get you can go, I need a new HVAC unit. So you can get them to pay for that at 15 or 20K, or you can just get them to put it toward your interest rate. Or maybe you can get them to do both. You can go, hey, I need, I want 20,000 in concessions, or I want 30,000 in concessions. We'll put 20 toward the interest rate and we'll split the HVAC unit. Historically, and where I'm sitting right now in Scottsdale or for the last decade in the Bay Area, that never happened. It went, not only are you taking my place with a messed up HVAC, I'm giving you no concessions and you're waiving all the contingencies. Those days are over. Those days are over. So if you are a buyer, you do have some big time advantages right now. Obviously, the big disadvantage is the interest rate, which is really, really high. Historically, not crazy, but relative to what it was a couple years ago, Obviously, very shocking. But you got to use that to your advantage. (laughs) Work the seller, baby. Or work the buyer. I always get that mixed up. No, you are the buyer. Work the seller. And essentially, what you're doing is prepaying the interest. So if the guy gives 10 grand, 20 grand, it's prepaying the interest, which usually drops it depending on your price point. You know, every point I think is considered a quarter point. So for my example, was 625. Bought down a couple points, got it to like 575, which then lowers my payment. I think it lowered my payment, monthly payment by like 500 bucks, I think is what it came out to. I, something like that. But it's it's prepaying the interest, which historically, you know, post the great financial crisis, shit just was not happening, <laughs> you know? So you didn't need to, right? You don't need anyone to buy down an interest rate when it's 385, 35, 4. Three two, when it's mid sixes sevens, it's it's definitely something that's worth it for all of us that want a lower payment. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a good week. Golf content coming up. Let's go, baby. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.